Paul Strickland. I have been fascinated with the unknown and paranormal realms since childhood. After a profound experience with my grandmother's spirit 20 years ago, I have been on a quest to observe, study, investigate, and communicate with the afterlife and beyond. It's been an ongoing journey of exploration and discovery, one that has taught me how mortality and the spirit world are forever bonded through the veils of time. Okay, okay. Hello, guys. Hope you guys are doing well on this Thursday, July 14th. Another episode here of the Afterlife Chronicles right here on WLTKDB.com. You guys know the site. And of course, I'm your host, Nicole Strickland. We're going to have a great night tonight. A little bit of a schedule change. So Mike Ricksecker was supposed to be on tonight. He has been rescheduled to November 10th. He's unavailable, of course. Uh, So again, November 10th, he will be joining. So I thought, you know what? Let's just do another uh, ghost stories part two. So I'll be talking a little bit about the history, brief history, um, paranormal claims, uh, some of my experiences, let's see, at the Hotel Dell, William Heath Davis House, which is now Davis Horton House, uh, to obviously in San Diego, USS Hornet up in Alameda, California. And then if we have time, Proctor Valley Road, because it's chock full of urban legends and all that good stuff. So before I get into that, Realm of Darkness just aired before mine. Of course, it'll be archived for you if you missed the episode. Uh, I joined Rini and Ashley on that episode, and we just talked about Heaven's Gate and cult mentality and all of that. So it was a very interesting discussion. So if you missed it, make sure to get the archive. And then, of course, uh, you know, it's July. Before you know it, it's going to be October. So a lot of us in the field are starting to book events. So just make sure to check out my website. I have some fall events coming up. San Diego Paranormal Research Society just uh, got an email a week ago, and I've already talked to the owner of the property. It's a big historical case. So we're working on that. We're really excited. And then uh, I have some very good news. I can't share it 100%. I can share part of it, but... uh, I love to speak. You guys know me. I do a lot of presentations. I love doing it. So I um, will be getting some representation for that. So I'm really excited. Once I get the news, I'll share it with you. And then, of course, of course, very exciting tonight, uh, Voices of the Dead, hosted by Kenneth Drake, will be premiering right after this show at 10 p.m. Eastern. Uh, Wes Forsyth will be the guest on that. Speaking of shows, there are so many on the network. So please, if you haven't, I'm sure you have, take the time, look through the hosts, look through the shows, read up on them, read up about the shows, listen to them. It's fabulous. Uh, we're all very honored to be a part of this station. So, and of course, a, a big thank you to Todd Bates and Sherry for all the work that they put into it. If you haven't followed the Afterlife Chronicles, you can on Facebook at Afterlife Chronicles and beyond. And then, of course, Podbean, afterlifechronicles.podbean.com. Of course, my website, authornicolestrickland.com, and then San Diego Paranormal Research. Uh, I was going to say society.com. That's not right. San Diego Paranormal Research.com. I see Michael Lashiana. Hello. Nice to see you there, Michael. Hope you've been enjoying your summer. So, okay. So, like I said, a little ghost stories of some of these locations, just because I didn't really have a lot of time to get a guest for tonight. So I always have tried to have something prepared, right? Okay, so Hotel Del Coronado. It is one of San Diego's most historical locations. I mean, pretty much anyone who comes to the city 
wants to, of course, go to the zoo, you know, go to SeaWorld, uh, go to Old Town, but Hotel Dell is almost always in the top three of people's lists. So very, very historic Victorian era edifice. And so, of course, it's in the community of Coronado. So if you take the Coronado Bridge over, it's 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 pretty much, I don't know if it's considered, I guess it is kind of considered, it's more of a peninsula, not an island, I should say. So um, beautiful. Coronado is just very beautiful, very clean. So it's when you when you get off the Coronado Bridge and you're driving, I believe it's down Orange Avenue, and you get to the Hotel Del Coronado, which is right there on the beach. To, in my opinion, it's like the prettiest beach in San Diego. It's just amazing. So a little bit of a brief history. It has a ton of history, but I like to leave room for the paranormal events as well. So it's kind of hard to balance the history and the paranormal, especially when you only have an hour. So in 1846, Don Pedro Carrillo, he obtained a, a land grant, a Spanish land grant in the area. So in the Coronado area of 4,100 uh, acres, I believe. So uh, it had, I think, about six owners in its time. So Alicia, so these, a lot of these names I'm going to mention are very uh, historic names of San Diego, local pioneers, uh, business moguls, very much. If you look into the San Diego history, you can't help but hear of these names. So Alicia Babcock Jr. and HL Story realized they were one of the first two people to realize that the land of Coronado would attract people from all walks of life. And so with the Hotel Del Coronado, I mean, celebrities have gone there, presidents, U.S. presidents have gone there, uh, people from all walks of life um, have visited the hotel and have stayed there and everything. So they developed the Coronado Beach Company uh, to purchase the peninsula there and build a lavish, huge hotel. So they purchased Coronado in 1885 for only $110,000, right? Isn't that insane? So for the next 40 years, local pioneers in the city worked to establish the city of Coronado. So as that went on, the hotel received upgrades, it received renovations. There was at one point Tent City that was developed on the beach, and that was a huge social arena for residents. That actually ended, I believe, in 19. 39. And then John D. Spreckles, another very famous person in San Diego's history, guided the hotel through some of its most exquisite times. And so the structure at that point even saw more owners who continued add, continued to add onto the building. So I believe the guest rooms were increased from something like, I want to say like 399 or 400 to 689 when the ocean towers were developed. And so when you go to the hotel, Obviously, you, you know, there's the main hotel that people love to stay at, but then they have these ocean, ocean towers as well. So obviously it can house more hotel rooms. So from 1963 to 1983, $40 million was allocated for the restoring, the repairing, and the replacing of defunct systems in the hotel. So like I said, when you look at it, it's the perfect depiction of the Victorian era. So at the front of the hotel, one of the most, I mean, people talk about this, they come, they have events here. It's called the Crown Room. It's one of the nation's most awe-inspiring architectural milestones. When you go in, it's insane. It's absolutely beautiful. Uh, so there's people from, you know, all over the world that come to see this hotel and stay at it. It's very expensive, I will say. But if you are planning a trip to San Diego and you just want to go all out, I would say definitely stay at the Hotel Dell. Maybe stay, maybe, maybe you want to try to save a little money. Well, then maybe stay one or two nights and then, you know, stay somewhere else, but definitely worthwhile. 
So as we know, historical locations tend to bring about paranormal activity. We all know that, right? So let's get into one of the hotel's most famous, I would say, spirits and most famous ghost stories. And this is the story I'm sure many of you have heard of Kate Morgan. And she uh, went by the name, her name was Kate Kathleen Farmer, but she went by Kate Morgan. So she was born in Iowa on September 23rd, 1865 to George W. Farmer and his wife, Elizabeth, who sadly passed away shortly after giving birth. She had no siblings, Kate. So she was brought up a lot by the males in her family. So this is thought, a lot of people that knew her thought because of this, she turned out to be more on the the rambunctious side. Um, Obviously, I didn't know her to make that claim, but just people who knew her. She wed Tom Morgan on December 30th of 1885, and the couple had one child named Thomas. And sadly, Thomas died just, I believe it was two days after birth. So she worked in Los Angeles at the home of L.A. Grant, and she went by the alias of Kate, Kate Logan. So she was a, a very good worker, you know, very admired, very liked. And then on Thanksgiving Day in 1892, she boarded the train to come down to uh, San Diego to stay at the Hotel Dell. Now, in research, uh, it does the research does say that people on the train witnessed a woman that fit her description argue, terribly argue with a man. So uh, so it was people saw her get off the, the train in San Diego. And then apparently uh, it probably would have been obviously Tom Morgan get off in Orange County. So uh, Thanksgiving day, again, 1892, she, uh, Kate Morgan checked into the Dell under the name Lottie a Bernard, her alias of Lottie a Bernard. She kept to herself for a few days. She complained of stomach issues. I believe it might've been, she said stomach cancer, Maybe, and people think that maybe she was concealing the fact that maybe she was pregnant. I don't know. That's just a thought. So she stayed at the hotel again. She's, uh, you know, went to the front desk several times claiming that she was uh, uh, awaiting the visit of her brother. Well, as we all know, she lied about that. She was really waiting for the visit of her husband to come meet her. So she kept checking to see if her brother, if you will, arrived. And again, she just kind of was very despondent. The staff said, uh, just kept to herself. And so a few days later, she actually was found to have a single gunshot wound to the head, a fatal gunshot wound to the temple. And she was found on the exterior staircase leading down to the beach. So there was a coroner's inquest on the 30th. To this day, some people say she was murdered, perhaps by Tom Morgan or she committed suicide. I believe she was murdered. So when she came into San Diego, and I'll tell you why, she came into San Diego and apparently she purchased a .44 bulldog um, gun from one of the San Diego gun stores. And uh, others from the time that she was at the hotel uh, until her death, some say that she did, a man did arrive, which obviously would have been Tom Morgan. Some say that uh, they witnessed them arguing, but the room that she was staying in didn't look out of place or anything. So when she was found on the staircase leading out to the beach, there was obviously a bullet in her head, but it was from, according to the coroner, it was from a .38 or a .40 weapon, which was similar to the Derringer gun that Tom had, right? 
She was also shot at an upward angle. So the positioning of the body was not suggestive of suicide. Her head was at the top and then her feet were toward the bottom. So it was an upward angle. And also they found that the pistol was oxidized, which would have meant that whoever shot her, which probably was Tom Morgan, he went to the beach just a few steps down, washed his hands in the salt water, and then came back and positioned the gun a certain way to make it look like she shot, she shot herself. So it's a very, very, very sad situation. She was uh, known to be a beautiful, beautiful uh, woman. And so, of course, as we know, there are a lot of ghostly spiritual happenings with her. So a lot of people have, have seen her in the hotel. They've seen her wearing uh, a dark sort of a dress. They've seen, they've claimed to see her on that same staircase leading down to the beach, as well as in the hotel lobby hallways, and then her old room, which was at the time known as 302 on the third floor. It is now 3327. So in her room, and even in other rooms of the hotel, but in her room specifically, there have been flickering lights, which of course can be a circuit issue. We all know that. Uh, cold spots, uh, phantom scents, voices, uh, footsteps. There was actually a couple staying, uh, and I don't remember what year this was, but they were staying at the hotel in the room. Obviously, it would have been 3327. And they claimed that covers were pulled from them as they were laying in bed. And then the woman, I think, I don't know both of them, but I think the woman saw a female spirit matching Kate's description standing at the foot of the bed. Okay, so uh, TV, belongings have moved in certain rooms. TVs have turned on and off. As we know, that could obviously be a circuit issue with the hotel and all of that. But people have experienced all kinds of um, sightings of Kate. Uh, there have been sightings of her in her old room, kind of standing near, near the window, looking out as if she's looking out at the beach. Right. So is this residual? Is, intel is it intelligent? It could be a combination of both. I can't say that I personally have seen her. But the last time I was at the hotel, it's kind of sad to say because it was like four years ago and I had friends in town. Uh, uh, they were from the Pacific Northwest and they were actually staying at the Hotel Dell. And I remember going there and meeting them. I think they were on, I don't know if they were on the third floor. I think they might've been on the third floor. Their room overlooked the courtyard. So they were in the main hotel and their room overlooked the, the, the nice grass uh, courtyard there. And so we were um, walking down the hallway and all of a sudden we, Karen Frazier and I saw what looked to be, um, well, we sensed a female presence and then we saw like a, a misty shape of an outline of a woman. So I, I can't say that it was Kate, but it was definitely something, you know, ethereal that we both sensed and we both saw. And so that was a little interesting. And it's weird with the Hotel Dell. And I don't know if this is maybe a sensitivity to the EMF at the hotel, because I tend to be one of those that uh, kind of gets really sensitive to very high EMF levels, you know, the nausea, the headaches, the, the, the anxiety, the feelings of... Um, just like you almost like have the flu, things like that. So I tend to get that at places that have high EMF, but it's weird. Every time I go to the Dell and I don't go often, I must say, but the times that I have gone, it's been several over the course of several years. I have after about a, maybe a half hour or an hour of being there, I tend to feel kind of like I have the flu and I'm not going to attribute this to paranormal per se. Maybe it is, maybe it's not, 
but I think it's more or less an EMF issue. And it's every time I go and it's certain parts of the hotel, it's usually in the lobby. It's usually where the restaurants are not so much in the, in the hotel hallways. It's more, like I said, in the lobby restaurant area. So, and even gift shop areas. So speaking of the gift shops, there's several different gift shops in, in the hotel. They have known, they have, uh, we actually were supposed to do an investigation several years, but that didn't pan out in one of the gift stores. Some of them have claimed that items have flown off the shelf and landed upright in perfect position. I mean, staff have, have reported seeing this with their own eyes. I don't know. So interesting there. Uh, room 3519, people have said that they've seen men in vintage suits, a vintage attire. Uh, let's see what else here. Uh, the lobby is a real big one. So uh, people, staff, um, um, front, front desk staff have heard disembodied voices between men when no one is there. This is, I would assume, later at night when it's you know not as crowded. Uh, one staff member saw a 1940s male apparition who appeared just out of nowhere, and I think he disappeared. Um, and then, of course, I touched upon the feeling sick and the EMF. So I think that with the Hotel Dell being that it's such a historic edifice and it's so popular, people go to it just obviously because it's so beautiful and it's so scenic. It's one of it's a historical location. It's one of San Diego's, you know, top five list of places to see. Um, I'm not sure the percentage of people that come, do they go to the hotel to experience the paranormal activity or do they go just for all the other reasons? I think it's mostly for all the other reasons, but you know, with the paranormal becoming more popular and more people are, are um, interested in, in the supernatural. I think you're finding that. So it could be, you know, maybe there's like a psychokinetic component where people are going in and they're wanting to experience the ghost of Kate Morgan, or they're wanting to have all these experiences. And so maybe that's fueling it. Maybe more and more people are reporting now. I don't know. But for whatever reason, it is considered a haunted location in San Diego. Now, I've shared my definition of a haunting. Now, this is just mine. I don't know if I'm right or wrong. But for me, you know, you can have paranormal at activity at a location, but there could be transient activity. That doesn't necessarily mean that it's haunted. So I think for me, uh, there has to be some sort of like tie or historical connection to the property on the part of the spirits in order for it to be considered haunting. And there has to be some sort of consistent type of activity going on over a certain period of time, right? So you do have that at the Dell. So it's noticed for that. So again, I'm looking at the time here. I always like try to, I think I don't have enough and then I just blab and talk all the time. And then I end up not finishing what I prepared. So <laughs> story of my life, folks. Anyway, so uh, definitely see it. If you haven't visited it, definitely go um, and definitely visit the hotel. I did, I did forget to say though, for me, and you can get to the hotel by going through the, um, oh, I forget what it's called the back way without having to go over the bridge, but the bridge is so iconic, but I actually did have a tragedy concerning the Coronado bridge a few years ago. One of my coworkers actually committed suicide by jumping off the bridge. Sadly, I hope he's well, I hope he's resting well, but it's hard for me to drive over the bridge even after a few years. So, okay, so let's move on. So now we're going to go down into gas lamp quarter of San Diego. So downtown San Diego, and we're going to go to the Davis Horton house. So William Heath Davis is another one of those individuals that is very well known with San Diego's history. He was one of the most well respected individuals in California prior to the gold rush days. 
So at the age of 10 in 1831, he visited California, I believe for the first time from Hawaii, He came from Hawaii and he uh, came to visit San Diego. I think it was aboard uh, the Luisa, the ship Luisa, I think. And so that was a, a vessel returning to Honolulu, Hawaii from San Diego. And then he later on, when he was a little bit older, he visited San Diego in 1838 again aboard the Don Quixote, and he married into the Estudio family in 1846, and then, of course, came back to San Diego again later on. So he married into the Estudio family. If you go to Old Town San Diego, you can't help but hear about the Estudios, very, uh, very prominent family in San Diego's history. So he, of course, learned his way around Old Town San Diego, which, of course, is another huge tourist attraction, chock full of history, chock full of San Diego history. So definitely, if you have not been to San Diego, please check out uh, Old Town as well. Birthplace of California, by the way. So uh, William Heath Davis House, uh, you know, befriended, of course, Mr. Uh, Jose Antonio Estudio and learned his way around Old Town. And it was Mr. Estudio who talked with Davis about relocating the town at that time to the bay so it could prosper. This was the beginning of what was known as Newtown. So Davis was tasked with building a wharf and a warehouse, and this started in about 1850, and it was completed in the summer of next year. Um, there's a whole history of Newtown and all of that um, that I'm not going to get into because I just really want to... Uh, uh, center on the William Heath Davis house. So um, the Davis house, of course, was a salt box lumber frame house that traveled on, I think it was the Cybelle, if I remember, because I've written about this, the Cybelle around the horn from Portland, Maine, deconstructed and constructed again. It was the first structure in Newtown. It was originally on State Street between Market and G Streets. Now it is uh, between K and L Street. So if you go down there, it's the little, it's known as the little, the little yellow house, right? Not only is it super historical, of course, it's, it's a historical location, but it's also one of San Diego's most haunted locations. So it's had a, 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 a pretty uh, rich history. So in the 1870s, Mrs. Anna Shepper acquired the home. She now, what's interesting about William Heath Davis, the, or the William Heath Davis house, is he actually never lived there, but people have seen his, his spirit form, which is interesting. So again, 1870s, Mrs. Anna Shepper, she acquired the house. She actually boarded the ill, so people that had mostly tuberculosis and other ailments, in the county hospital, So, which was there at the home, at a rate of $1 per day. So from 1872 to 1882, the county hospital was in not only the William Heath Davis house, but it was also in the home of different private individuals' homes who had contracts to board and care for the ill, okay? So then in the 1930s, uh, George, I think Deo, had the house and passed it on to another family known as the Lanusa family in 1977, who then donated the home to the city of San Diego to become a museum, Electricity was installed, I believe, in 1984, and nowadays it's, it's treated as a museum, and it's the uh, headquarters for the um, Gas Lamp Quarter Historical Foundation. And I believe, I'm not sure with the pandemic right now, but I believe the San Diego Ghost Hunters does offer paranormal investigation tours at the home. And I think they, I, I forget what year they started that, but they've been doing that for a few years. 
And what's interesting about the home is each room depicts a period in its history. So uh, a use, it was at one point used as a pre-Civil War military officer's barracks to, and then to a county hospital, to private residences. Um, Alonzo Horton is another prominent individual in San Diego. He's known as the father of San Diego. He lived in the home at one point, and at one point an alleged German spy even lived in the home. So uh, lots of different histories. And so, of course, when you have that, then you usually see the paranormal follow it. So we, the San Diego Paranormal Research Society, we've been very lucky to investigate the home uh, a few times. Not lately, it's been a few years, uh, but uh, it's, it's really been uh, one of my favorite cases just because the size of it and just the history. And it's just, it's, it, it has, even though it has a lot of activity, there's a, there's a lovingness to it, if that makes sense, at least in my opinion. So uh, on one of our investigations, we ended up, and I'll, I know that we have about five minutes until break, so I'll probably get through part of this. We, or I should start out with my personal experience. We had a lot of evidence that we captured. And so we were featured on an episode in 2013. I want to say it was season four or season five of my ghost story caught on camera. I think the episode is titled Gas Lamp Ghost, which uh, shares what I'm going to share with you now. So I had a very uh, intuitive experience the second time that I uh, investigated the home. And I remember walking up the front stairs and getting to the front door. And before I even got in, I, I, I got this sense in my mind's eye. So I didn't see anything. It was just like my mind's eye. I got this sense of this young girl, maybe 10 or 11 years old. I saw her in my mind's eye. She had a very long, dark brown hair, brown eyes of just a beautiful young girl. And so, you know, the docent opened the, the door to let us in. We all went in. There were three of us. I proceeded to, to set my investigative equipment bags down. And all of a sudden, I happened to glance at the base of the staircase. And there's wallpaper there. And I saw this historical photo that I had no idea existed prior to, you know, me having that intuitive experience of, of seeing this young girl, I had no idea this picture existed. So when I happened to look at the picture, I was like, Oh, my gosh, and I had that, you know, the goosebumps all over that feeling, I walked up to it. And I kid you not, the girl in the historical photo matched 100% the girl that I saw in my mind's eye. So I asked the docent, I said, who is this? And she said, Oh, that's Mr. William Heath Davis's daughter, Lillian Davis. So of course, throughout that night, we made a point of trying to communicate with this Lillian Davis, we weren't sure if maybe she, you know, if she would communicate with us, I, you know, any of that. So as the night went on, we had other experiences, of course, in the home, but we were actually sitting in the parlor area, we were sitting down, and we were doing an EVP session. So we had our, of course, our recorders going. And at one point, Jerry, who's sadly no longer with us anymore, I hope he's resting well. He said, uh, you know, little girl, can you come in here? Can you talk? You're, you're welcome to come talk to us. And so what we heard after, we couldn't make it out. But what we heard after was a little girl. It sounded like a young girl answer us. But uh, so again, we couldn't make it out. But later on, when we reviewed the audio, so this was would not be an EVP, it would be considered a disembodied voice. So later on, when we reviewed the audio, it was a few days later, 
we all could make out what her, what she answered. And so she answered. So right after Jerry said, little girl, you can come in here and talk with us. We're friendly. She said, I am trying to talk to you. My name is Lillianne. And so we do have uh, the, it's, it's in video form and I don't think it would play too well here, but if you go to San Diego paranormal research.com and you go to our video section, it's a very old video, but if you watch it, you can, you can hear that uh, disembodied voice. And so there's more to the story. So uh, we decided to uh, set a static uh, infrared camera on the stairs, just one of those older cameras, right? Um, I, I think it was a, uh, oh my gosh, DV, I think it was a DVD, one of those. So very old camera. We positioned it on the stairs, um, infrared pointing up to uh, up the stairs and then to the right, there's the children's room. So about 10 minutes after this disembodied voice that I just shared with you on video, we, as we reviewed it later on, we saw that the door opened up. Now the three of us and the docent were sitting down at the time, but we, of course, being the investigators that we are, we went up and examined the door. The door is super, super heavy there. Uh, we, we made sure that cars going by wouldn't, wouldn't move it by itself. We made sure that, you know, any, any vibration of people, anything like that. We tested it. There was no uh, air conditioning on. There were no open windows. There was nothing that we could um, figure out as to why this door opened by itself. And, and when you watch the video, you see that it opens and then opens a little bit more. And then at another point um, during the investigation, uh, one of the investigators also caught another EVP. I think it's from another child because there are child spirits known to be in the home saying, uh, where is my mommy? So those, what I just shared with you is actually featured on that My Ghost Story episode caught on camera. I think it's season, is it season four, episode five or season five, episode four? I forget. But anyways, I think you can, if you type it in, uh, gas lamp ghost, uh, my ghost story caught on camera, daily motion, you can find it and watch the episode. So there's a little bit more to the home, but I see that we're at the half hour mark. So let's go to break. And then when we come back, I'll share a little bit more about the Davis House and USS Hornet and hopefully Proctor Valley Road. So stay tuned. Negri. Hi, I'm Peter Bea. Hi, this is Nicole Strickland. My name is Hero. My name is Sean Clem. Hey everybody, Cleek Keith here, author of Ghost of Greystone, Beverly Hills. I'm excited to invite you to the OC Paracon, which is going to be the first week in October. Now that's just some of the people you're going to meet at Orange County Paracon. That would be Anaheim's first ever paranormal conference. I'm Henry, the organizer and also the host of Paranormal Perception, inviting you to meet those people that you just saw. You'll meet everybody, including some guests, some people that we haven't even announced on the website. It's going to be a surprise. Everything, info, tickets available on that website, ocparacon.com. Hope to see you to kick off our favorite time of the year in Anaheim at OC Paracon. Take us with you on the go and download the new WLTK-DB mobile app. Search the App Store and Google Play under WLTK-DB Talk Radio. Download free today. The unexplained. It's all around us and usually supplies more questions than answers. 
You need answers. You need cross-country paranormal. Founded by Benjamin Young, CCP seeks to train, educate, and mentor anyone that has a passion for the paranormal. CCP is building a network of teams and investigations across the country, and all experience levels are welcome. Learn more about CCP on their website, ccpinvestigations.com, where you can find frequently asked questions, check out their equipment, follow their latest events, and of course, shop. Visit them now at ccpinvestigations.com. That's ccpinvestigations.com. Cross-country paranormal. All are welcome. All are family. Thirty-two minutes past the hour. There you are tuning right back into the Afterlife Chronicles right here on the WLTKDB network, WLTKDB.com. And tonight I've been doing a ghost stories part two featuring hopefully um, four locations, what, what we'll get to at least three, uh, primarily in San Diego. So we did start out with the Hotel Dell, gave you a little bit of a hit, the history of the, the property as well as some of the paranormal claims and experiences I've had personally. And then of course I've been talking about the Davis Horton house uh, known as the William Heath Davis house. And so right before the break there uh, sharing a little bit of the history of the home and then uh, some of the experiences that the San Diego paranormal research society has had. So we'll go right back into that. So I shared with you uh, the experiences that were featured on uh, the, my ghost story episode but let's get into some more of the claims. So there are uh, various child uh, spirit energies that have been uh, seen and felt and heard even by, by my, by museum staff and other uh, investigative teams that have researched the property. Uh, so typical paranormal claims, items moving by themselves, uh, apparition sightings. I said earlier that even Mr. William Heath Davis has been spotted uh, in the property, although he never lived on the property, which is interesting. A woman in Victorian garb and a man in military clothing. Perhaps maybe that's, I don't know, maybe the alleged German spy or someone who worked there when it was a barracks. So another interesting room, which is downstairs, it's set up to, um, I, I mentioned earlier that each of the rooms are, are displayed to look like a historical uh, period of, of that property's history. So and it was a county hospital at one point. So the down, one of the downstairs room is set up like that. So you can see old fashioned medicines and beds and things like that. It's known as, I believe, the TB room. And so people will go in there, including myself, and they'll feel they just want to get out. They'll feel uh, just depressed in there, feeling of like forlornness, depression. Uh, I've gone in there and I almost feel like I have the flu. Am I picking up some of the energy as to when it was a county hospital? Perhaps. Um, is there an EMF issue? Who knows? It most likely is, you know, when when you're intuitive and sensitive, which we all are, by the way, when you, you can sense these certain things. So, you know, I, knowing that it was a county hospital and a lot of these patients had tuberculosis, you know, it makes sense because people go in there and they feel like they have like the constriction in the chest and they feel flu-like and things like that. So that happens. Mm -hmm. 
Uh, another interesting thing, too, I read while doing research uh, of the property in the 1970s. Now, this was prior to electricity being installed. It was installed in 1984. So it was uh, lit by gas and oil lamps. And so I think it was a I think it was a San Diego Union Tribune article. It said that people would claim in the 70s that these lamps would suddenly go off and ignite by themselves. Paranormal? I don't know. So, but it, you know, considering the history and all the other claims, it kind of would make sense. So again, uh, one of San Diego's most haunted locations, it's definitely listed on the historical California historical landmark. I forget if it's a national, but I know it's California, uh, downtown in the gas lamp quarter. It's known as the little yellow house on the corner there between K. I think it's what, what did I say? K and L streets. I live here and I don't even remember the streets. Hello. But that's the way it goes. So uh, Davis Horton House, make sure to visit it when you're in town. So let's go a little bit north. And I'm choosing places that I've personally visited and investigated just because it's fun. So Alameda, California, we're getting toward a north, uh, you know, northern California. So east of San Francisco by about an hour. You can actually on the flight deck of the USS Hornet see the downtown skyline of San Francisco, which is really beautiful. So again, it's in Alameda, California, USS Hornet. It was commissioned as CV-12 on November 29th, uh, 1943, becoming the eighth ship to bear the name Hornet. It was a top fighter squadron in the Pacific with more total victories and more ace pilots than any other fighter squadron up to that time. It holds the record for the number of enemy ships and aircraft destroyed during World War II. So, it, I mean, this is just the bare bones. It has an extensive history, as most ships do. So, according to the Grey Ghost, the story of the aircraft carrier Hornet by Lee W. Meredith. Excellent book, by the way. So, if you like ships, you like historic ships, you like history, read that book. Again, it's Grey Ghost, the story of the aircraft carrier Hornet by Lee W. Meredith. M-E-R-I-D-E-T-H. He... Um, Excellent book. Like I said, it's an Essex class carrier. Four of them are still in existence as museum ships. So the Intrepid, which is in New York, the Yorktown in South Carolina, the Lexington in Texas, and then of course the Hornet in Alameda, California. So its proud lineage began in 1775 as one of the first ships of the new Continental Navy. It continues to this day into the 21st century with the McDonnell Douglas FA-18 Hornet. Okay. During a span of 15 months of combat, the Hornet's pilot shot down 668 enemy planes, destroyed 742 more on the ground, and sank or damaged 486 ships, accounting to 1,269,710 tons. Pretty amazing. After being decommissioned for a brief period, it was brought back into service and modernized. Now it's a museum. Uh, a huge, huge tourist attraction. Um, and a lot of people that may not be familiar with its history is it also participated in the space age. So May 23rd, 1969, Captain, uh, I think his, I have it written down here. It's Cyberlick, I think, notified the crew that the Hornet would be the prime recovery ship of the upcoming Apollo 11 lunar landing mission. And it also uh, was for the Apollo 12 as well. I think it was scheduled for the Apollo 13, but another ship took over, I think. I'd have to double check my facts on that. So when you go on board, and I had the opportunity in uh, July of 2019 
to go up to the Hornet. I was actually, uh, the, I spoke, I was invited to do a, a presentation about the Queen Mary on board as part of its history and mystery tours. And so I had the luxury of staying on board the Hornet for two nights. It was myself and just a few other people on board. It was amazing. I had my own little private quarters. I mean, I didn't want to leave. I, I kid you not, I did not want to leave. It was that amazing. And so part of as part of the history and mystery tour, uh, they have a presenter. And then that presenter is invited to attend the dinner and then an all night investigation of the ship. And then of course get breakfast the next morning. And so I had, uh, I made a whole trip out of it. And so then after I went to San Francisco and, and met some friends and all of that for a day and then came back to San Diego. So, uh, you know, ships are, 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 we all know, are phenomenal, uh, phenomenal with paranormal activity. And so the Hornet's no exception. Uh, many accidents on board. So a lot of men, a lot of people lost their lives. I think over 300, which almost mir mirrors in a way uh, the sailors lost on the HMS Curacao, which was one of the Queen Mary's World War I British light escort cruisers. Um, and so when the Queen Mary during World War II rammed into the, the Curacao, you know, cutting it in half, over 300 of its British sailors perished. So the same thing with, with the Hornet, a lot of its uh, sailors perished either by accidents or suicides, which is very sad. Uh, and uh, I'll get to this later, but there was, uh, I want to say in 2006 or seven. One, actually, I'll get to it now because I'm talking about it. Why not? So I think it was 2006 or 2007. Um, I, I'm not sure of the date. One of the volunteers, of course, I'm not going to mention his name, you know, obviously out of respect, uh, perished by suicide. He hung himself in the engine room. Uh, and I believe he was a volunteer or one of the staff members. So on the, the all-night investigation, we, our group investigated, obviously, various areas of the ship, the sick bay, um, the, the flight deck, uh, the museum deck, uh, and of course, the engine room. So while we were down in the engine room, we were learning of this man's suicide. So at one point, we were doing an EVP session trying to reach out to him, and we let him know who we were. Uh, and we were asking him if he's okay, and if there's anything that we can do for him. And I think it was me who said, you know, sir, I'm so, you know, I'm so sorry to hear of what happened. Is there anything that you need from us? Can you let us know? Of course, we didn't hear anything. But of course, review of audio later on, a few days later, there was an answer to that question. And you hear a male voice saying no, like that when, when we asked if he needed anything, which, you know, is kind of comforting because hopefully he's okay. So, of course, feelings, people, visitors, staff feelings of being touched or pushed, the moving objects, the residual sightings of military officers going about their business. There's also an apparition of, of the dress whites ghost that is seen coming out of the same corridor where my room was down as well. And I forget the name or the, the um, I think there's a name for that corridor and I'm forgetting it, but he's called the dress whites ghost. And they actually have a picture of him and I've seen the picture and it's, you can definitely tell it's a, it's, it's a male apparition wearing all white coming out of that corridor. Uh, another experience that night during the investigation, again, in the engine room. So one of the uh, volunteers, I believe had a dog named Stella. And so we were investigating and all of a sudden we heard this. And so 
we were wondering, like, you know, we, we didn't know what it was. And so we didn't know if it was a ship sound or what. And then one of the investigators said, no, that sounded like a dog. So then our guide said, oh, that's Stella, the ghost dog. So when it's actually this, this uh, audio capture, of course, would have been a disembodied voice because we heard it at the time. We just couldn't make it out. Uh, we reviewed it back and listened to it. And then we did hear that it sounded like, you know, when dogs bark and do that whine sound, that's exactly what it was. It was a dog barking and then that little whine sound that they make. And so if you go to San Diego paranormal research.com com, Oh my God. I came in and I said that Jesus. All right. We're going to pretend I didn't say that.com is what I meant to say. Okay. San Diego paranormal research.com com, right? Go under uh, evidence and then it's under audio evidence. And I believe it's one of the top ones. USS Hornet. Listen to it. Please wear headphones because it's kind of hard to hear, but it does sound. I, I think I haven't listened to the clip in a while, but we're talking and then you hear this sound and you do, you make out the dog barking and that whining sounds really cool. So, and another thing too, and I, you know, I'm not one of these to really put a lot of trust into a lot of these uh, apps, you know, but one of the investigators was using, and it's a paid app. I think it's like 20 bucks. It's called Spiritus. And so he was using it. We were using it that night in various areas of the ship. And I must say that we were getting words and phrases coinciding with the ship's history, even like uh, people's names, like officer names coming through and things like that. So I actually have downloaded it and I've used it a few times at other locations and it, I haven't really had good luck with it at other locations, but at the Hornet, it was awesome. And then let's see uh, the sick bay area. And I think there were about maybe 50 people total investigating that night. And so some of the people actually slept in the sick bay. I had my own little private quarters. Of course, I kind of wanted to stay in the sick bay because next morning people were talking about it. But uh, that's a hot spot area. A lot of people have that same feeling like I was telling you about in the TV room at the Davis house, that feeling of where you can sense the people's illnesses, um, you know, that that general sick feeling. I guess someone, there's an entity, there's a spirit on board that was severely injured with burns who has come through in that room. I can't say that I had any experiences with him per se, but other people have captured uh, audio that coincides with this individual. And for the life of me, I forget what his name was. So, uh, I mean, there's all kinds of other experiences and encounters that I probably haven't, you know, that I don't know about, but it's just, it's, it's such a historical ship. And, and then when you go, I mean, go for the history. I mean, they have a whole display of like the Apollo stuff on board, which is really cool. They have like guided tours, um, all kinds of things. So it's really fun. I cannot wait to go back hopefully soon after the pandemic. Okay. So I knew I would kind of finish a little early. So I prepared another uh, location, which is now back down to San Diego. Well, South San Diego near Hamul, which is east of Bonita. Proctor Valley Road. A lot of people hear about it. A lot of people talk about it. It's one of those locations like Elfin Forest, which is North County, San Diego, that has all the urban legends and all the myths. It's hard to know what to believe and, you know, what to dismiss, but it's fascinating. So it's 10 miles east of Bonita. And so there's a, a regular, you know, a road, there's cemented road, and then it turns to dirt. So it connects Chula Vista to Hamul. 
here are the a lot of the experiences people and there was a psychiatrist i think that lives out there that uh encountered an ape-like beast hairy beast he actually collected um and and i guess it was like a set he said six or seven foot tall beast with two hairy beast with two tiny creatures uh standing next to it he uh collected a 16 inch long um eight inch wide plaster of a footprint so he seems to think maybe bigfoot it's known as um uh, out there is like san diego's bigfoot uh, let's see. Uh, and he's also hear, heard like weird sounds, weird, weird sounds near his home and other people that live down there have heard it as well. People have claimed to hear screaming banshees, apparitions of hitchhikers. There apparently have been stories of a phantom car tailing you as you drive down the road with child handprints going on the windows, um, vehicle breakdowns. There's the ghost of a homeless man and a flying ball of fire. There have been chupacabra sightings. In fact, ranchers back in the day noticed a lot of their cattle mutilated. So, it, you know, you think of Bigfoot perhaps or the chupacabra or maybe alien activity, who knows? Uh, one bizarre story that I think is just highly unlikely uh, was um, about two teenagers. So a man and a woman, of course, they were driving down the road one night, their car broke down, the boyfriend got out to investigate and it was never heard from again. The girlfriend sat in the car and uh, was terrified all night long. Allegedly, she sat in her car all night long, just completely terrified. When the cops came the next day, they found the boyfriend hanging from the tree right above. The girlfriend, while in the car all night long, heard this scratching sound on the outside of the car doors. Well, when the cops came the next day and... Uh, and this is the story, of course, the, uh, when the cops came the next day and they found the boyfriend, obviously lifeless, hanging from a tree, they found that his hand was touching the car as it kind of swayed with the wind. Now, now that's a haunting image right there. So, of course, you know, I don't I, to me, that's unlikely. You know, I think, you know, a lot of these these places just get hyped up and legends just take a take a life of their own, really. Uh, and then there was a bakery out at the east end of the road known as Haven Bakery in Hamul. Now there's a Walgreens that sits right on where it used to be. So there's another odd, preposterous legend with this Haven Bakery. So apparently the owner returned from a business trip to find his daughter hanging by the neck in the basement. Apparently then the dad went mad and killed the entire bakery staff and stacked their remains in the bathroom before committing suicide. Well, that's not true. The true story is that sadly the girl fell down the stairs in the basement and died later in a hospital. And of course, like I said, the Walgreens, there's a Walgreens. I've seen it, of course. I don't go out to Hamul that much. It's about 30 minutes like southeast from where I am. I'm in central San Diego in Tiracena, by the way, for those that are familiar. So, um, but there is a Walgreens that uh, stands in its place. To my knowledge, none of the Walgreens employees have had any sort of paranormal activity. If they have, maybe they haven't come forward. That's the that's the latest I know. But again, I would have to, you know, call them and double check. But a lot of people are scared and they don't want to admit it and all of that. Or they're told if, if, the, if it is to be hush-hush, it's hard to know. So uh, Proctor Valley Road, uh, very, very interesting. You know, it's out there in the wilderness. It, I mean, I've been out there. So it, it has this desolate creepy vibe to it 
And so uh, there are a few investigator friends of mine and we were, we were talking about maybe this summer going out there and just doing a quick, a quick little sort of investigation. I will say just because it's so desolate and it's out in the middle of nowhere, uh, never go by yourself ever, you know, go with a group of people, but it, you know, it's just one of those, you just go out there and you feel the creepiness of it. Now, maybe a lot of that is, you know, bias, because if you know the, if you know the stories and you know, the legends, maybe you're going to feel creeped out even more, but it just has this weird, creepy vibe, but maybe I'm weird, but it, it, those locations kind of attract me again. Maybe I'm weird. I don't know. I know I'm weird. So that's fine. So anyways, uh, that's, I, I'm glad I got Proctor Valley road in cause I knew I'd finish early. So those are some locations. Again, this is a series. So, you know, every now and then I'll pick like three or four new locations, you know, talk about the history talk about the paranormal claims, talk about experiences people have had, including, you know, if my team's investigated the location and all of that. So good stuff. I'm seeing that we are uh, getting close to the time. We might end a few minutes early, which is fine. Uh, again, the show after mine, it's they debut Kenneth Drake's Voices of the Dead show with uh, guest uh, Wes Forsyth is coming on right after mine. So stay on, make sure to catch the show. I'm going to be tuning into it. I'm so excited. And like I said at the beginning, my voice is going, hello, I need water. Make sure to, if you haven't, I'm sure many of you have, check out the website, check out all, I mean, there's all kinds of shows on the network now. So it's a busy, busy, busy station. So if you haven't, uh, read up about the hosts, read up about their shows. They're, you know, it's a great family of people. I'm very, very happy and proud to be a part of this network. Um, it's amazing. So uh, let's see. With that said, real quick, let's see. Next week, I have Lindsay Sharman. She's an author, experiencer. She's a shamanic healer. So she'll be on next week. And then on the 28th, I'm having world-renowned uh, psychic media Matthew Stapley on. And then uh, August, I believe it's Thursday, August 4th, I have Pete Orbea on for another uh, another uh, return visit, which will be really good. So uh, I hope you all have a fantastic weekend coming up. Um, again, stay tuned for the show coming on after mine, Voices of the Dead. And of course, um, yeah, have a great weekend. And then, of course, I do want to end with this because I love it. Do not go where the path may lead. Go instead where there is no path and leave a trail. All right, folks. See you next week and have a great night. Bye-bye.